Hey, commuter. Well, we had an individual write into the show thanking us for a strong start to season two. Amy writes, thanks for producing the show. I appreciate the variety of guests you bring on each week. Was there ever any doubt about you guys coming back for another season? Also, I think the show might be better if you, Peter, and Phil talked less. Well, thanks for that, Amy. We actually talked about the decision-making process regarding coming back for season two in this week's banter. I also love how you held us hostage this year. I was like, are we going to do this podcast thing again next year or what? And pretty much he said, here's the data. I do all the work. I'll see you at this date. Fill out the doodle form. <laughs> quickly. I said, I also said quickly. You have to have it done in two days. That's true. And we did. I don't think I did. <laughs> Counts down from five. I can't do that. I just conducted a piece in five. I made more mistakes than my students did. I can't count that high. Means you got to do more podcasts, then you'll be ready to go. You just got to do oh, more counting. Key to teaching podcasting, clearly. Yeah, that, that's where the money's at. It's where oh. the money's at. It, saying that on a night with a double header. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, how's it going? What's new in the world? Oh, uh, uh, it's good. You know, lots of <laughs> lots of meetings. Problem. <laughs> a lot of meetings. Yeah, and um, oh. focused. Wow. I, I, it's uh, it's good. I love me. No, actually, a really good week. Last week, I had a creativity summit with Dr. Peter Gamwell, who's a good friend with Sir Ken Robinson. It was fun. It was fabulous. Lots of good brains in one spot. So, well, that's great. Yay! Very excited about that. So that was awesome, that's and great. got some great uh, collaborations really, going on. You talk about the talk about the finer uh, points of uh, Excel documents. Yeah. Yeah, actually, well, it's Google Sheet. And um, Phil, have you started school already? Uh, we had um, uh, meetings all day today. Oh, so students aren't there until after Labor Day. Um, the marching band is around. There are a lot of people. Oh, yeah. A lot of people. Um, but uh, just me- meetings today, more or less. Lots of Great. new faculty this year. So, uh, yeah. Um, lo- lots of slightly panicked questions. And, uh, <laughs> I was struggling to maintain the same level of panic. Really, that wasn't there. It was sort of a lower. Like, this does not really matter. I'll support you, but you could look that up online. Good luck with that. That's <laughs> oh. <laughs> good. Good to see everybody. And I have to say, I was glad to just start a touch base. I, you know, that was nice. That's good. And that should be enough for the, pretty much the year for me. I don't need to go back. Nope. I'm all set. Zoom lessons, it is. Your contribution's over. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Some relationships are better from afar. Um, Gleason, when you go to all these meetings, are you in person or do you have to online it? A uh, little bit of both, mostly online. Do you wear your Beyond Artless t-shirt to work most days? <laughs> I'm just curious. No, I, I do dress up that. for work. Uh, I do. I do need to... Uh, Sport the DPI look, you know, which is professional at all times. And uh, we're a nicely I had a, I wore, bunch. I wore it to work today, and I saw Allison for two minutes as I was leaving the house at about 6.30 in the morning or whatever. She took one look at me, and she's like, oh. <laughs> and I was wearing like a seven- or eight-year-old 
Eau Claire Band's golf shirt that had like the white ribbing on it, you know, that yeah. goes all the way down the sides and on the sleeves. And she said, is there anything else you could wear? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Love it. You yeah. say yes and you go change. That's how that works, Phil. She's got better taste than you and you know it. Yeah, that's true. Although Aaron right. will do that too, but she won't even say that many words. She'll just look at me and go, uh. That's it. And I know, I but I know exactly what's wrong. She just goes, uh. it's like, got it. I'll go change. Yeah. No problem. I try, but I'm not good at it. So like all, I'm always up early with the dog and stuff and nobody else is really up when I'm up. And then I hop in the shower. So I usually throw my clothes out on the bed and then I hop in the shower and I come out of the shower. <laughs> like, the tie's different or like a shirt's been changed. And I'm like, oh, I used to complain and now I just shut up and wear it because she's always right. Yeah, that's well. Too bad she never listens to the podcast because she'll never hear that. But that's she'll never hear that. But speaking of shut up, let me do the introduction here so we can get our esteemed (laughs) guest, who named (laughs) named himself Tweety Bird, um, which I love. Okay, so here we go. You ready? I took a long time to write this introduction because this person means a great deal to me. So I I wanted to be as professional as possible, unlike you two idiots. Okay, here we go. Our mm-hmm. guest today, Let us interrupt you. Okay, okay, too late. Our guest today is a sonic architect, crafting harmonies and rhythms that can tug at your heartstrings one moment and have you dancing around the room the next. His ability to craft emotions through notes and sounds truly reminds us of the boundless power of human creativity. Any guesses yet? Okay, I'll keep going. It'll get better. Composer. Here we go. His melodies have graced the stages of prestigious venues like the Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, the Kennedy Center, the National Gallery of Art, leaving audiences spellbound with his ability ability to merge unexpected elements into harmonious sonic tales. Today, we are embarking on a journey through the remarkable musical tapestries woven by a composer who has been hailed as, quote, alluring and, quote, wildly inventive by none other than the New York Times. His compositions have not only captured the attention of the critics, but have also resonated across six continents, performed by illustrious musicians and ensembles, including the New York Philharmonic, Eighth Blackbird, St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, the United States Navy oh. Band, and so many more. <laughs> Joining us today is a composer whose sonic palette paints stories that transcend cultures, genres, and expectations. Let's dive into the world of Viet Quang. <laughs> Welcome, How are you? Thanks for having me. Thank you. No that introduction, Chris, was just so... Um, Flattering. Well, Thank you. Uh, no well written. He used chat GPT at least twice to get that just right. I've had, I did that for fun once to see what chat GPT would write about me. And it said that I played the trumpet and I was like, wow, <laughs> they're not, they're not quite there yet. But, no, not you know. quite there. I think they call that a mirage. But in all honesty, we just I just got out of rehearsal at 630 and we just had our first reading of Deciduous. Um, oh, awesome. And we got new revised parts earlier today so my librarians had sent out all the things and then suddenly sent out a whole nother flurry of stuff oh, it was exciting I'm so sorry that 
the revisions took longer than I expected, but your French horns will thank me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I really like what you did differently. I mean, you, 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 you did different things with the orchestration. It was really nice. And the notes up front are different and that was great. So I had oh. a whole hour to notice the differences, but it was well oh, done. Well, thank you. I'm glad you got them just in time, but you know, that's something like, uh, when I was revising this, so I had this new piece called Deciduous that I wrote for the Florida Allstate Band. And at, when I was writing it, I was in the middle of editing um, my piece, Vital Signs, that the Navy Band had recorded. And when you have the sound of those Navy Band French horns in your ears, you think anything is possible. <laughs> yeah. And I was like a little too optimistic about that. And so... I I think the piece will be a, like just more accessible to many groups now. Yeah. And I didn't feel like I uh, sacrificed my vision for the piece in this like revision. I feel like it's actually better. I, so, And, you know, I mean, I've only had the MIDI. So, like, my brain's mm -hmm. been thinking about what it's really going to sound like and the cool Crotale snare drum buzz thing. And, and even the way you notated that differently for everybody is helpful for them to kind of figure out how to make that sound work. I. I was I was impressed with how quickly they were able to read what's on the page and make it sound so good right away. Oh, good. So thanks. I think your good. revisions really helped that. Well, thank yeah. you. And thank you for programming it. Um, but yeah, that's oh. something about like notation is if you do any sort of weird technique, you want to make the notation look what like what it sounds like, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And um, like a, a crescendo looks like how it sounds. And so I thought like I would try to find a new way to do this. So... Yeah, nice. it's a technique that I've been using a lot um, where you take a snare drum and turn it upside down and then you hit a crotali, like a single crotali, and you lower it onto the snare drum and it starts to uh, buzz the snare drum and then you press it against the snares and it zaps. Uh, it's like this new thing I've been quite obsessed with. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking cool. of that, though, of, 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 of percussion, I mean, that was your upbringing, right? I mean, in Georgia, you... Uh, mm -hmm. Lassiter, percussionist, correct? Yes, I was a uh, percussionist because when I was little, I played uh, piano poorly, but I played the piano. And so <laughs> in sixth grade, my band director, when we had our like, you know, band orientation was like, who here can play the piano? And then I feel like he like already knew to like look at like the Asian kid in the back. <laughs> and then... Uh, I raised my hand. He's like, do you want to play percussion? I was like, sure, why not? Um, which is good because I remember I also liked the clarinet, but I thought it was called the flute. So I put flute as my second choice. <laughs> and, you know, that would have been a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you but, made a good choice. Yeah. And so in, when I played percussion, I was always the, um, they always threw like the bells parts at me because <laughs> I could read music and knew where the notes were. And so... In high school, I was in the pit and marching band, and I loved it. Um, I was, I think I would have always preferred to play mallet parts anyway, because I like mm -hmm. melodies, and um, I liked being able to play with, like, the woodwinds on something and not just be, like, my own, like, you know, rhythm section or something. Chris wants to know what that's like to play a melody. He's never really done it before. So can you describe it to him? <laughs> it's, um, you know, harder than it looks. <laughs> right. Okay. Wait. Um, um, everything's harder than it looks for Chris. That's true. <laughs> I'm um, burning it down. Yeah. I, uh, 
<laughs> I loved uh, playing percussion. I loved like being in the last year band program. It was like such a gift. Um, and the thing is, like my parents had no idea what the last year band was or what BOA Grand Nationals were. I don't even think my mom fully understood what like marching band was until she like came to a football game because she thought all we do were parades. She was, she was sure. like, "How do you do marching band if you play the marimba?" it's too big. And I was like, no, we do football halftime shows. She's like, didn't know what halftime was <laughs> for football. And so, um, yeah, that was, uh, just by chance, my parents bought a house in the Lasser district and, you know, it was almost like getting to like go to college for music before going to college for music in many ways. Yeah. So yeah. Viet, I have to ask you a question. I, I really love your music and um, your sound and style is so similar from the first published piece till now. I mean, it's still growing, but like you already have, this is, this is you. I can hear a piece and say, oh, that's, that's Viet. Oh, listen to that. And the textures and I mean, it's like you were fully formed as a composer right away as a young man. I mean, was it your mentors that you had at your institutions or, or how did that happen? I don't know. Like, but thank you. That's really nice of you to say. And, you know, it's funny, like my very first like piece that people know of uh, in the band world, Sound and Smoke, uh, it's, it was like a, the first movement of that was almost like a prototype for like the next 15 years of my life as a composer. Um and I don't know how that happened. I just, um, and I don't think it was really necessarily my teachers because my teachers don't really like sound exactly like me either. Um, I think, but I give my teachers a lot of credit for just like kind of letting me explore what I wanted to explore and write what I wanted to write and inspiring me to do that through their own work. Um, cause you know, 15 years ago when I was in school, uh, it was like, we were kind of in this still like transitionary period as a, like as composers where I was afraid of like writing like kind of unabashedly beautiful music and being taken seriously but um my first teacher Kevin puts like that's all he does he's he's like so honest in his music and so sure of himself and that I've always found him to be like a guiding light for me in that way um but yeah, I think texture, I just love textures because they're like fun to create. And it's like not enough for me just to like uh, write a melody and like write some harmony and put like whole notes like in the clarinets or something. You know, like it has to be, uh, I have, I call it activating textures. Oh, that's a great term. I'm writing that down, yeah, Chris. Write that you should down. write that down too. Yeah. Um, but you, <laughs> we'll help you with the spelling later. You've, you've described your orchestration as wet. Like wet orchestration? Can you mm -hmm. just explain that? Yeah, well, like you know, when you're in a a, a really reverberant hall, we call it like a wet acoustic. So it's like, well, I can like just write pieces that sound that, even if they're performed in a carpeted ballroom at Midwest. <laughs> um, yeah. That's like kind of my goal is so that pieces sound really lush and um, just like really rich, even if you don't have a good concert hall. Um, because I don't know, I just like love the sound of band when it sounds that way. Uh, it's just, there's something else like it when a band sounds really lush and dark and, uh, just like ooey gooey, like, uh, orchestra can't really achieve that sound in a lot of ways. And, uh, 
I have my own tricks <laughs> to do that. Uh, could you want to talk a little bit about what it's like to write for different age levels? I heard your premiere of the piece that Chris worked with you on. I, I don't forgive me. I don't remember the name with mm -hmm. uh, a middle school group in Wisconsin. And, you know, and then I hear deciduous and then I hear, you know, vital signs and they're all you, but a lot of people are very scared to write for younger musicians. And there it is. It's still this wet, wonderful, resonant textural sound. Um, was that difficult for you? Oh yeah, it was very difficult. And it is very scary <laughs> uh, because I think there are certain things that I like to do as a composer and as an orchestrator that um, are sort of not the typical like role that a middle school musician is used to doing. Like, oh, I'm playing the melody or I'm playing the offbeats or I'm playing the downbeats. And uh, it's kind of tricky to find your way to do certain things that sound like you. Cause I don't think they're like, I don't like when I like write music and it feels like it doesn't sound like me, even if it like works and it's playable. It feels like I'm like cheating or something. Um, and Chris does that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it took Constantly. me so long to write, um, to write Inland Ocean, this piece that you talked about, um, my most recent middle school piece, because grade two is funny because it's not a grade one where no one expects it to be good. <laughs> um, well, yeah. But it's not a grade three where like you actually can do some kind of cool stuff like my piece diamond tide originally was like conceived as a grade three piece and i think it's more of a grade four arguably but um like you can do kind of more like the clarinets can go over the break and like you know but like grade two it's like you're in this weird in-between space where you want it to be good because it's not a grade one but you kind of don't have as many tools available to you uh so my approach has always just been canonic of music where it's like you can teach everyone the same melody and then you just stagger it and then it sounds much more interesting um and even like all the textures in inland ocean are canons as well uh so you just have to like you know and if they play out of, in the wrong place with a canon it sounds okay <laughs> phil's used to that he yep. often plays in the wrong place during the canon <laughs> yep yeah trauma it's a He's brilliant used to piece. feeling awkward and can't play can't play over the break yeah. Oh, thank you, yeah. Chris. I just uh, finished like the final score. Uh, so I'll send that to you. Um, that, just like little edits here and there. That's awesome. Yeah. No, guys, it was so fun to to have Viet. I picked him up in Wausau and then we drove another hour and a half, right, Viet? <laughs> Through the woods mm -hmm. into Shaguamagan. It was beautiful, though. Oh, man. We yeah. stayed right. Very pretty. Cool it was, little it was cabin. really nice. Yeah. yeah it, it was fun. Mm -hmm. You, you had your first supper club. Yep, supper club, your yes. first supper club, and he he made you wear that shirt. I'm so I sorry, did. you have. I an, still have that artless. shirt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was so fun, and it was really like the kids were just so grateful, and it was really refreshing because sometimes you work with you know like professional musicians or orchestras or whatever, not even orchestras, but just where it's just like another day, you know, and they're used to it used to putting a new piece together, but these kids were just so um, like appreciative and, and also like, I remember walking in and then like, uh, I did like a little talk with them and I was like, have you ever, have you ever like ever played a piece by like a commissioned or premiered a piece by a composer? And they're like, yeah. And then we look on the wall and there's this like huge mural of Robert W. Smith's signature on the wall. <laughs> 
and I recognized that signature because when I was in middle school, because I was a huge Robert W. Smith fan, and my band director got me a signed score of Into the Storm. <laughs> and I still have that score. Um, so it's like when they, it was just like a clear, you know, sign that they really don't take for granted getting the opportunity Listen. to work with a composer. No, they had the, that's they a had, great teacher. She's wonderful. Kristen Kirk, oh, yeah. yeah. And they had like, the cake and punch yeah, and everything just, afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> it's <was> great. <laughs> I had a great time. And, you know, I remember like thinking this will be the last grade tooth I ever do because it was just so hard to write. But like, <laughs> Thanks, I Chris. feel like. I Sorry. feel like I could be convinced again because it went so well and it was such a positive experience. And I'm actually like really proud of Inland Ocean. Like yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, when I was putting together, I was like finishing up, uh, cleaning up that score and also deciduous. And I was like, wow, like I'm really proud of both of these pieces. Like as I'm as proud as, uh, as proud of them as I am vital signs in a lot of ways, just cause, uh, they were challenging to write and, I think turned out successfully. And that's kind that, of all you, kind of all you I, As you were talking about that, that's exactly what I wanted to ask about. I was wondering if the limitations of writing those pieces were so overwhelming, but it sounds like uh, you were able to work in and around those limitations and still come out with a, something that you were creatively happy with. Yeah. I, 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 I'm just happy. I was able to, I mean, like you think about it though, there are pieces that we all think of as like masterpieces that are not complicated. Like a lot of Beethoven's orchestral music is not that complicated. It's just really smart and really intentionally done so that every note has a purpose. And uh, I don't think it's ever like, you know, worth it to write a grade six because you get a grade six commission and just make it hard to make it a grade six. A grade six to me just means that you have fewer limitations for range and stuff. It doesn't mean you have to use that whole range. You don't have to use a high E flat in the bassoon just because it's a grade six. Um, and I never have used a high E flat in the bassoon except like once. And it's not Good, a bad choice. Good choice. I learned my lesson. But, you know, um, <laughs> and no matter who you write for, you will have limitations just because of practical things like equipment or rehearsal time. And so I'm never going to ask for like six sets of timpani, even if I write for the New York Philharmonic, because that's just, you know, too extra. It's not like mm -hmm. worth it. <laughs> um, so everything has limitations, just uh, certain kind of groups have more of them and you can still work around them. I don't know about like grade one, that might be like pushing it, but... <laughs> When you get in the middle of writing these pieces, do, does time slow down for you and it seems to just expand? Um, or are you able to sort of dive into it all of a sudden the piece just rolls out all at once? Or is it, uh, what's it like when you're in the middle of it? Uh, it's usually really hard starting a piece. Like the start is the Sometimes is the... weeks or even months of just sitting at the piano and playing stuff and trying to find something that works and feels fresh to you because like I could like write a piece in a couple days if like to like tell me how long it is that just feels like just me repeating myself again and again but uh those aren't really the things that like excite me um it's like I, I'm 
in the process of working on and finishing this big saxophone quartet concerto. And it's like the first piece I have in a while that starts on a major chord. And it felt like, <laughs> like just really um, kind of fresh for me to like, I'm using these like chord progressions I've not used before. And uh, it's very exciting. And, but it takes a lot of time when you're trying to kind of break ground on something new. But then once I get to the point where I like what I have, it's almost like the piece is writing itself. Um, mm -hmm. But the beginning is hard. And I think some of my music too, it's like kind of process oriented. So like I come up with a, almost like a, a scheme for like things like the rhythms and meter changes and even the orchestration. And then, then if I find that it works, I just have to like implement it. <laughs> um, so it's a lot of like groundwork I'd say for my music. And then once I figure that out, then it's not as bad writing the rest of it. Well, I, I, we've never met before, but I'm delighted to meet you. And I just, I'm a huge fan of your music. I just, from a textural standpoint, I mean, I, I'm a trombone player and, uh, so sorry, <laughs> but no, I, I could tell, you know, from just like Peter said, from about three measures of music, I was like, Oh, this is someone that cares about the one note that I'm going to get in this 30 measures of music. And like that note, it really has meaning and is not just, uh, it's not there arbitrarily. Or oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I, I will say I think a lot about every note that I'm writing and sometimes to a fault, like I'm getting slower and slower at writing as I <laughs> get older and arguably better as a composer because I just like, I but it's, it makes it sound a care into it. It makes it sound crafted to me. Yeah. Just, okay. uh, it's not, not it's not uh, just thrown together at all. Uh, it, it's really art. Oh, thank you. I, I do like it's really great to hear you talk about like the ideas and then you really almost formally create before you fill in mm -hmm. I, um i i'm so, well personally i'm a formal listener like i love to hear how someone creates expectation or breaks expectation and you have a really great balance between those things and make me want a downbeat but then i get a beat four or we went mm -hmm. here this time but we shift to here that time and you'll change the textures and i just really love that and uh it's good to hear you say that because i think that's one of the things i really appreciate is how you use form but also manipulate the form to create expectation and move the audience around it's great Oh, thank you. I, I, I will say that's another thing I put a lot of thought into just because I think some composers are so obsessed with defying expectations. And when you defy too many of them, you lose all expectation because we just like kind of give up when we're listening to something. If we don't feel like we're like we have their like we have like their stakes, you know, mm -hmm. and so uh, it's a balance of trying to create expectations and then veer from them at just the right moment for you um, and hope that other people feel that same way. And it's hard when you're a composer, when you know the piece intimately um, to try to put yourself in the shoes of someone who's listening to it for the first time, or even a performer who will spend like a month with it, but then that's it. Whereas I have, I like will know the piece for the rest of my life if it's a good piece. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, it's uh, something I think a lot about. When you get to the premiere of a piece, uh, are you still biting your nails or is it just like Candyland? Are you so excited for it all to, to come out at once? Oh, I'm, I'm really nervous for uh, okay. premieres. It usually, actually, mostly for the first rehearsal. That's the worst. Okay. Don't go to the um, first rehearsal. I'm not yeah. sending you the recording of today's rehearsal. <laughs> Don't go to the first rehearsal. I, I think that like the 
the first rehearsal is just like when you hear it all for the first time with real people and you're like, okay, is this going to work? Or was this just like a huge, you know, waste of our time? Um, and luckily it usually goes well <laughs> in certain ways. Like I have, I like, I've done this enough where I know what to expect. I know there's gonna be wrong notes, like, but I know what to like listen for. Like, okay, like this texture works, even though all the notes are wrong, but like it'll get there. And, um, you know, it just, it takes a while to, uh kind of as a composer to get to a point where you kind of feel like you know what you're doing so that first rehearsals are less and less scary but i think they'll always be scary um by the time you get to the premiere i'm usually not as nervous if the rehearsals have gone well and if we've had enough rehearsal time uh like with like vital signs i remember them sending me the schedule the navy band sent me this uh itinerary and i saw like these rehearsals that were like three hours long and we had like multiple rehearsals. And I was like, Oh, I wonder what else they're like rehearsing during this time. And uh, there were no pieces other than vital signs. So I was like, what else are you programming? And they're like, oh, we've already rehearsed those. This is all for vital signs. And it was like, I swear we had like nine hours of rehearsal on the piece. Wow. Um, how cool is that? Yeah. And we didn't even use all of it. Cause I was like, I don't want to like make this, I don't want it to become stale. Um, cause you're already working with like it's the world's like best musicians and then you have this much rehearsal time. And that's why the recording of that piece turned out, like, it's probably like the most incredible recording I will ever have for the rest of my life. Um, and, uh, everyone just was so invested in making a, a, like a successful project. Um, and so by the time we got to that premiere, I felt like I was in such good hands. Like if you're nervous when the Navy band and eighth Blackbird joined forces together for your piece, then you did something wrong. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. So, so yeah. yeah. And Viet, that well, that, and congratulations on the award, on the ABA award. That's con that's wonderful. Oh, thank you. To hear. Yeah, thank yeah. You. I mean, and and that was a spectacle at Midwest. I mean, that like brought the house mm -hmm. down. What was that like in the audience? Because they had a whole video, like they mm -hmm. had footage and everything to, before that 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 performance. I mean, what what was that night like for you? Oh, it was like. I don't know, like, I think, because I've had pieces played at Midwest before, and I feel like it's been this, like, I'd say my career in the band world has been kind of like a slow burn, um, partly by, like, design. I didn't want to, like, kind of come out the gate, like, with Sound and Smoke and, like, write, like, a million band pieces. And um, I wanted to take my time to get better at writing for bands so that I felt like when I had a, an opportunity like Vital Signs, it would be, like, you know, something I've spent a decade preparing for. Uh, and so I've had pieces played in Midwest. I, I went to Midwest when I was in high school, but I remember going to Midwest in high school with the last year percussion ensemble and getting that big, heavy book of, of like the programs and looking through it and just thinking like, it would be so amazing to one day, like have a piece played here. And then to have a piece played at Midwest like that, like this project that you've been treat that you've dreamt up for so long it was so really overwhelming and i felt like it was just like my whole like musical life flashing before my eyes i didn't really remember what the performance was like really it was just like so surreal to me and uh for people to like really to embrace the piece so warmly too is amazing um you know i'm good friends with omar thomas and like the day before that concert we were walking around or like the morning before the concert we were walking around and everyone is like oh Mr. Thomas, can I get a photo with you? And then I'm like the one taking the photo. <laughs> and then the, the day after, like, people are like, oh my gosh, Mr. Thomas, can I have a photo? And they're like, oh, Mr. Kwong, can I have a photo as well? Like, it was like people like, like, like 
you know, responded so well to the piece. Um, and it was really special. Uh, and the video that they made was really nice too. I didn't know that they did that. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know it was happening until it happened. And then I remember just like getting really emotional too, just like remembering like the time, like being there and the piece is dedicated to my father who passed away a couple years ago. And when I wrote the piece, like all those emotions are so raw and to like kind of be put back in that place was like also really special because I feel like I got to like share that, like the, the story of the piece with like these people I respect so much. Um, and I will say like, too, like my dad, uh, like was the person who like didn't let me quit band when I was in after sixth grade, I like wanted to quit. And he was like, no, give it another year. And then that was like the year I fell in love with band. So, um, yeah, it just felt like the culmination of so many years of work, uh, that performance. Yeah. That was such so, an impactful story too. When you were saying that up in, in, uh, in Glidden and Chiquamigan too, I could mm -hmm. just see those kids lean in and really listen in. So, mm -hmm. Phil, C can you share about the supper club? Um, not to change the subject, but um... <laughs> yes, it was everything I expected and more. <laughs> like, I I think I had the salmon. It was excellent yeah. and just. I feel like someone used to write a piece called Supper Club and like dedicated to Wisconsin. I, and we uh, stayed... could you maybe describe uh, the supper club to those non-initiated for snare drum and crotali. <laughs> what would, that. would be represented by that like the vinegar the oil and vinegar dressing um but it there, I, did it have the salad bar was it like you walked up to the salad bar, bar but we didn't use the salad bar right we did not we walked past the salad did. bar and sat in the velvet chairs mm -hmm. <clears throat> with the tablecloth and walked past the bar that had the big american flag on the wall <clears throat> mm -hmm. good I'm Pretty sure we was took there a, a lake. Like, were there windows in a lake there? We had. We were staying on the lake. Uh, we were staying on like butternut, right on the water. Mm -hmm. Butternut, uh, butternut lodge. lodge, right? Wait, pause for sponsorship. <laughs> well, uh, Chris, you really just pull out all the stops uh, when you bring in a wonderful, amazing composer. It's great. <laughs> so I'm going back. Care of. I yeah. Viet, I'm going back in like uh, oh, three good. weeks. Going back with the family to Butternut Lodge. So I'll text oh, you when I'm there. Oh, just for like fun. Just for fun. Yeah. Yes. That was yeah. a really, I mean, it was like a, and they had that like really nice lake house, like the little boat house or whatever. It was, it was great. It's pretty nice. We, we so uh, did yeah, a bonfire. I guess I, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> we did a bonfire, yeah, bonfire. with mm -hmm. wet wood. So then we had to go to the neighbors and steal some wood. I mean, borrow some wood. Mm -hmm. It was great. It was fun. <laughs> we traded, we traded wood. We, we traded did. some we of did. our wet, <laughs> foggy wood for some of the dry stuff under the tarp. <laughs> Uh, you had a real Midwestern experience. Yeah. Uh -huh. Good indoctrination. Oh, you came back, so it, it can't have been that bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I would gladly go back. <laughs> um, I was wondering, I, you must be doing some teaching right now, or quite a bit of it. And I'm wondering, has that changed your composing? Has it informed it? Has it? Um, are you enjoying being a mentor? Yes, I am. It's nice after so many years of just like sort of being a freelancer to feel like, um, to feel like appreciated in like a different way as a musician. Uh, cause I think your self-worth as a composer when you're freelance is like so tied to just like 
your music and your performances and your commissions and things. And it's nice like to feel, uh, I don't know what the right word is, just appreciated in like a different way for like your knowledge or your, mm -hmm. the skills you have to share with your students and the experience that you can share with your students. Um, and I really enjoy teaching. Um, I don't like grading, like I hate that. <laughs> But like lecturing is really great. Private lessons are great. And I teach orchestration at UNLV. So I have 30 students in that class. Whoa. <laughs> it's huge, uh, which is great because we could have like in class basically like ensembles made up of the students to read through things. And um, so it's been fun. <laughs> and uh, I've also been working to try to find a balance because for a couple of years, it's been like uh kind of playing catch up or something. Cause I had all these things planned before I got this job. Mm -hmm. uh, and so to try to like see those plans through while also having the job. But now I can kind of like, uh, like I got an email yesterday asking if I am available for commission 2025 and I'm hoping I can like push it to 2026 just so that I have more time to breathe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. How are the plants? How are the plants doing? Oh, they're great. They're good. I just repotted that's all of them because I had a huge fungus gnat infestation. But oh, uh, that's been taken care of. <laughs> that's good. That's uh, good. Yeah, I'm a big uh, house plant person. I probably have like 20 different plants in my house. Do you name them? No, I just call them what they are. Good. It's like, good. oh, the variegated dracaena. Don't water it this week. Like, <laughs> Are they ranked? Do you have favorites? <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. I have this one, like... It's like it's a it's also a Dracaena, but it's called a compacto, where the leaves are kind of small. Um, and I spent like way too much money on it, but it's very big. It's like a very slow growing plant. So if you want a big one, you kind of have to like pay up for it. But it's like the plant when you first walk in my house is the one you see. And I have a like it has its own dedicated grow light. <laughs> I, wow. I spoil that. I spoil that thing. But yeah, that one. And then I also have. Um, a spider plant, which is like a very common house plant that um, I, I, before I was in house plants, I was at Princeton doing my doctoral like dissertation defense. And my friend was like, uh, when I was waiting outside for them to discuss if I had passed or not, my friend like brought over this like little cutting from this spider plant from the Princeton Music Library. I was like, put this in water and it'll grow roots. And I was like, okay. So I remember I went straight to Midwest after defending my dissertation and I just had like this plant in a cup of water in the Hilton <laughs> next to the window. And then I remember after Midwest, I like, went to Philly for a premiere with the crossing and I just cut that plant and then I brought it home and then eventually it grew little roots and I put it in soil. And now it's like huge. So that plant, even though it's like the most common house plant ever, I like, it means a lot because it's like from the Princeton Music Library and it's like two years old. <laughs> and it's it. traveled across the country, like back and forth. <laughs> It was and, like yeah. at Midwest when the Dallas Winds did renewal. <laughs> it's wow. been through a lot with me. So that's cool. Uh, yeah. And uh, I'm, so I'm, I'm fairly certain that fungus you're describing is growing in Chris's tuba. So we should have a talk about the solutions for that. Some, get some natural on eBay and mix it with some water important. I'm going to get right yeah. on that. Now, v, yeah. I know you've got a hard out because you got to get to, uh, you got work to do you know unless meeting yeah 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 which is like like phil phil just skips them he admitted it to it already so you should go uh, you know maybe 
Maybe when I get tenure. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then you can wear a shirt that doesn't look good to the day. No, anyway, never mind. Yeah, exactly. that's um, Inside joke. Viet, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. It was just thank the you. joy uh, hanging out with you for a couple of days um, this past spring. So I hope I can't wait for our paths to cross again. But thank you for doing this. Oh, thank you for having me. And just thank you for all, like, for everything you do for your students as well. Um, wow. It's a exciting time of year to get back to it. So, we're yeah, back. thanks for having me. And I uh, hope to see all of you soon, maybe of in course, December. keep writing. This is great. Yes. Thank you. Great. Well, have a nice rest of your day. Okay. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Wow, Chris, you outdid yourself. I'm proud of you. Bad. It's pretty well, impressive. He's a good guy, man, and a little bit talented. I don't think he knows the truth about you, Gleason. No, no he's he's been those smoke and mirrors are. Just yeah, kind of I've snowed a lot of people. Yep, he's. Um, it's fun also watching him because behind him he's got his diplomas from John Hopkins and the Curtis Institute and Princeton. You know, a couple <laughs> places you've never heard of. And Chris has his degree from Disney University right behind him. He's got a That's Yoda it. back there and some Yoda. like got the Marine Band tuba. Mm-hmm. Bunch of comic Same. books. That's true, you got the Marine Band. I'll give you that. <laughs> um yeah, no, he And you're still God. wearing that shirt. I am. He is such a good person. I mean, like obviously we know he can compose and he's a brilliant thinker, but to see him interact with Middle school kids, you know, what I mean, he's used to like the Navy band and UNLV and you know what I mean? Ace Blackbird. I mean, but then you put him down yeah. in Northern Wisconsin and um, those kids at the supper club at a supper club. But he walked in and those kids were like, oh, he's here. You know what I mean? Like they were just so enamored and, and he was so gracious and um, spoke from his heart. It, it was beautiful. Yeah, I think he remembers his experience as a beginner. I think I think it's like think so. fairly present in his just the way he approaches music making and life and everything. He just remembers what it was like way back when. I also think I mean he's humble and unassuming like we're talking about and it's deep to the core and I also think the emotional content of his music um, oozes out of him because there's a lot of people that write textural music that don't have that same emotive connection. I just think he, he remembers being that young player, but he also just, I don't know. There's something about you, even how my students perform that are enjoying that experience. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Unique voice. You hear, like you said, mm-hmm. Peter, you hear eight measures. You're like, yep, that's him. That's it. But it's not, it's never like, and it's great. It's never derivative of himself. He's never no. just checked it in. Like each piece is its own sound world. And yet here's a whole new sound world. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Inland oceans, beautiful piece. So I can't wait until it becomes available to, to, to the world and stuff like that. But it's, um, yep. Wonderful piece of music. So, and I don't know. I, I think Diamond Tide is not that that difficult. I think it is a great four in some ways, but it's really approachable. People should look into that and deciduous. I just don't think you need, you know, you don't have to be a college wind ensemble to be able to play his music. Yep. So it's good stuff. All right, guys. All well, right, hey. buddy. I'll uh, see this you soon. Real, and this is going to be one of our shorter ones. How are we going to deal with that? Should we have more banter? No one has asked for this to be longer. No one. That's actually true.
that's not what the uh the, the critics are saying in the feedback in the polls uh, do we even no. get feedback oh no oh, yeah. not much we got it one seems, email seems like we get a lot of feedback from chris's brother that seems to be pretty much yeah it. that's that's sort of really where it feedback. begins that's just ribbing um <laughs> yeah how are we gonna... he doesn't seem overwhelmed with your birthday gift by the way like no. the the t-shirt the, the... no he didn't even have to pay he made Savano pay <laughs> yeah, it's true. I sent her a shirt, and then she had to pay the rest of the shipping. <laughs> Whoops! And somewhere else too. Was it Viet? Uh, uh, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, no, it's just Fano. No, oh, I sent it out to I someone else too. I did, and I, I, I pretty much, I'm sure, I shorted that person too. So whoever I sent, look, <laughs> gotta work on that. Gotta, that's gotta be better. Anyway, so yes, brother Tim, <laughs> the shirt's coming. I did text back saying that it, I, they didn't have the Hulk Hogan shirt with the rips in it in stock, and that he likes those shirts, so he can rip them off. So I'll get it. Yeah. No problem. He's a sleeveless, sleeveless guy. Sleeveless. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I don't even hey. know what we're doing right now. Okay. Well, we're gonna we're gonna put a bow on this. Wrap this, this one is up. The part where Chris adds in sound effects. No, he's adding in sound effects right now to sort of blend should, this time together. He should be cutting all of this. This should end up on the floor. Yeah, I'm Chris, gonna talk put... us through the editing process of the podcast. Tell okay, us what that's well, like. I hit play and I basically <laughs> listen to it. And whenever I get bored, I cut that part out and then I replace it with a stinger. Oh, you didn't think I'd get the stinger in there, did you? Well, I just did. So the stinger's going to be in there. But not only the stinger, but I'm going to put in the Navy Band horns with Viet's permission and Navy Band, of course. But those horns and that lick. Oh, that's a nice. Oh, it's just like butter. So good. So that's why all the conversations of Phil don't make it. When you get bored, you just cut that part out. He gets cut first. I mean, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I look at the sound waves, and I can see where you are. I don't have to hear it. I can just see you, because it's always up and down, up and down. And then the monotone that doesn't change it, that's fill. And see, then I just, like, cut that out, and it actually works out pretty well. Questions? I think it's going well. Good work. Phil? Bueller. Bueller. Beyond Artless is sponsored by Beyond the Notes Music Festival. Our mission is to create and provide profound learning and social experiences through music that go beyond the notes. Visit btnmusicfestival.com to learn more. Artless. What? Artless. Beyond Artless. Artless.